Our first scripture lesson for this Palm Passion Sunday is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then one other gospel reading that will include our seventh word from the cross today. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 44. It was now about noon... And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breast. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. The dusty, rocky, long and winding Lenten Road brings us closer and closer to Jerusalem. I think I can see the city limit signs from here. Mile markers along the way. We've been talking about for several weeks now, seven last words or seven last phrases of Jesus from the cross. The first mile marker happened on Ash Wednesday. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And we realize that those are our fingerprints on the hammer. Them are us. Second mile marker, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was hanging on a cross between two others who were being crucified, two thieves, probably zealots, revolutionaries who stole for a living to fund their revolutionary activities targeting the empire, the Roman empire. Mile marker number three, here's your son, here's your mother. Blood relatives of Jesus is what we talked about that day, kinfolks of the Christ. And then mile marker number four, perhaps the most difficult to hear and to experience, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Psalm 22 is where those words come from. And Psalm 22 ends well with notes of victory. But I believe that in those moments, Jesus was abandoned and forsaken that we would never, never have to be. Mile marker number five, I am thirsty. And they offered him sour wine. They offered him vinegar. Not a cup of cold water. But we can honor him. We serve him well when we offer a cup of cold water to those who are in need. Especially in this time of of darkness and disease and anxiety. Mile marker number six. It is finished. A cry of victory perhaps. But I wonder if those walking by that day who were mocking him and making fun of him were wondering, is this a winner or a loser? It's over. Who won? And now today, mile marker number seven, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But before we focus on that phrase, just a few words about Passion Palm Sunday. Those two Sundays were combined on the church calendar several years ago. There was a time when the fifth Sunday in Lent was Passion Sunday, and we talked about the suffering of Jesus. And then there was Palm Sunday, and then there was Easter. And what happened for so many was that they would come on Palm Sunday, and the children would process and wave the palms, and we would celebrate and leave feeling great. And we'd come back on Easter to celebrate resurrection, almost like we were going to jump over all the pain and all the agony in between. And so Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday were combined that we might not lose that emphasis, even if we were without a Holy Thursday or a Good Friday kind of service. So Jesus' triumphal entry, many have called it, what was really going on? Some said it was a parade. We all love a parade. Not right now, but we will love parades again. Some said that it was a protest march. John's gospel is the only gospel that mentions that the branches cut from the trees were palm branches. And a palm branch was a sign of Jewish nationalism. And it almost, maybe it was a way of waving the palm branches in the face of Rome and claiming that they would not always be oppressed. A national symbol. And then others said, it's a funeral procession. He rides on in majesty. He rides on to die. So what was it? A parade? A protest march? Or a funeral procession? And the answer, the best answer I can come up with is yes. This takes us to Good Friday. Much happened in between. Not time to cover all of that today. Hopefully through devotionals and other reading that you'll do, you'll keep up with all the happenings of of Holy Week. And it was Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. I remember a television show when I was much younger. It just lasted for about one season in this country. It was called That Was the Week That Was. And it was political satire about the events that were going on in that day and at that time. And I think of that expression in terms of Holy Week. That was the week that was. But in many ways, that was the week that is, as we still live out the pain and and the brokenness. That was the week that was. That is this week. So now the Luke passage, the seventh word, seventh phrase from 
the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Has there ever been, could there ever be a darker day than the day on which our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified? Luke tells us that it was about noon and darkness was heavy over the whole land until about three o'clock. How do you weigh darkness? What does that mean? Heavy darkness. And the sun refused to shine, but the darkness was deeper and much more inclusive than was readily obvious. Consider the darkness in the hearts and in the minds of those who were responsible for executing as if he were the vilest of criminals, the only truly innocent human being that had ever lived. How deep is the darkness that hides our eyes, the goodness and selflessness of the one who came. We can't see that. Came that we might have life in all of its abundance. Consider the darkness of the depth of the grief in the heart of a mother who witnessed her firstborns being torn, his flesh being torn by the cruel spikes. Consider the darkness in the heavenly places as the angels huddled together, remembering the one who once shared the glory of the Almighty God, the one who once shared that glory now shared the shame of a cross among thieves. Consider the darkness of guilt, overwhelming the followers who had fallen asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means olive press. His soul was pressed that night and they could not stay awake with him. They had fled in fear of their own lives in the face of an arrest and a mock trial and a horrible death. Consider the darkness of faded hopes and extinguished expectations among those who would say on the road to Emmaus a few days later, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Consider the darkness in which the forces of evil could grin like an old possum and say with a terrifying hiss, I've got him. We've got him right where we want him. Sometimes, if we stay in the darkness long enough, our eyes begin to adjust and objects become distinguishable. At other times, the darkness is so prevalent and so deep that we cannot see a thing, not our hand in front of our face. Darkness, darkness, there was darkness over all the land and the sun's light failed. Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Yet even at the very center of this darkness, some amazing things were happening. If we could only see, for one thing, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the curtain that hid or blocked off the Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God was thought to dwell and where only the high priest could enter and then only once a year. It was as if the way to God's presence had been opened up to women and men, thrown open to all. It's as if the heart of God that was previously hidden was laid bare. The curtain torn in two. And another amazing thing that occurred in the darkness is that our Savior, crying on the cross with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his his last. Jesus died with a prayer on his lips. 
Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Psalm 31, verse 5. You add the word Father, and that's what this is. That verse was the prayer, or so I've read, of many Jewish mothers back in that day with their children when they were putting them to bed at night. Into your hands, Lord, we commend his spirit, her spirit. Many of us were taught a prayer when we were smaller. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. So the mother in that day would have told her child into your hands. I commit my spirit just before the darkness descended and and the children may have been afraid. Jesus gave it more meaning, made it even more powerful when he said before that, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Even on a cross, one writer said, Jesus died much like a child falling asleep in its father's arms. Jesus sat upon the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Have you ever spent any time thinking about the hands of God, trying to picture the hands of God, what that must be like? Have you ever given any thought to how strong those hands must be, how they form the earth and creation in God's conversation with Job toward the end of the book? And God was telling Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? When I told the sea, come this far and no farther. The hands of God, strong beyond our imagination. The hands of God, not only strong, but skilled hands of God. How skilled they must be. I heard a preacher years ago describe the earth rotating around the sun and the earth spinning on its axis and all the water that compromises so much of what the earth is all about. And all that movement in God never spilled the first drop. The skilled hands of God fashioning human life in the image of God. The hands of God. Have you ever given any thought to how gentle those strong and skilled hands are? God has the whole Wide world in his hands, we sing sometimes. God's got that little bitty baby in the hands of God. How gentle those hands. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus was returning to the one from whom he had come. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. These words are not spoken mournfully, not with an attitude of surrender, but triumphantly. A voice of victory, a victory that once belonged to the powers of darkness, but now belonged to the forces of light. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, cannot ever comprehend or overcome the light. Jesus crying with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, we are told he breathed his last. Over the last four plus decades, it's been a painful privilege of mine to stand beside many folk, sometimes to hold their hands as they breathe their last. It's a sobering, sombering, moving kind of experience, difficult to describe. Many of you understand that and have held the hand of a loved one, breathing their last, the finality of that. His death 
The death of Jesus had a profound impact on the totality of all humanity, all human history. And it can be the most significant event in our lives if we allow it, if we let it be. When we face our times of darkness, we too can commend our spirit into God's good hands, knowing that we'll be accepted and cared for beyond measure. And because he suffered in the darkness, that aloneness and that abandonment, there is the assurance for us that we'll never be alone in the darkness. And there is no greater assurance than this, an assurance that I need and I imagine so many of you need right now. There's a darkness of disease and uncertainty and anxiety that threatens to engulf us. But in that darkness, we never walk alone. And then one other amazing act that occurred in the darkness of that day when our Lord was crucified. A Roman centurion, powerful soldier, a macho man soldier. When he saw what had taken place, praised God and said, certainly This man was innocent. Jesus' death had done what even his life could not do. It broke the hard heart of this man and so many others. Already Jesus' saying was coming true. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all persons unto myself. The cross had begun its work even as he breathed his last Darkness over the face of the whole land and the curtain was torn in two in the temple. And there was access to an almighty God. There was darkness over the whole land. Yet with the voice of triumph, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. There was darkness over the whole land. Yet a Roman centurion and many others, hopefully you and and hopefully me, were given eyes to see. And ears to hear, darkness over the whole land. And all these amazing things occurred. And so it's no wonder that we're able to call the Friday on which he died, Good Friday. Father, now and always, we commend our spirit, our life, our soul, our whole being into the hands of a gracious God. Amen.